Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is When God Knocks by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we come to honour you this morning and as we open your word, we seek, Lord, for you to speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. To him who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to his church this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And for those who may be new here this morning, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. And we come to the last church this morning, which is the church of Laodicea. We have been working through chapters 2 and 3, and the letters to the seven churches. And today we arrive at the last one, Laodicea. I'll be looking forward to this one. Jesus has no commendation for the people at Laodicea, which is interesting. Every other church, he has had a rebuke and some commendation, not for Laodicea, as we will see. You know, just over 20 years ago, uh, an event happened that changed the shape of the globe, changed our way of life in Western society. Nine men over 20 years ago completely reshaped uh, 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 huge portions of our life. Uh, on September the 11th, 2001, nine men uh, boarded planes, hijacked those planes. And those four planes, three of them were flown into buildings and the last one was aimed at Camp David and didn't quite make it nothing short of a evil wicked terrorist act nothing short of that nothing short of evil men but if you think life hasn't changed since September 11 2001 walk into the airport today and you're the word bomb you'll find yourself in a hole in the desert somewhere being interrogated with some water probably the reality is that those men were very evil men, those men were nothing short of terrorists those men we would learn after the events that these men didn't decide to wake up one morning and go you know what, here's an opportunity why don't we jump on a plane, in fact why don't we hijack four planes today and go and crash them into the building, what we learned about these guys was that from a very young age they had been trained and they dedicated the fullness of their life They lived in America, they were trained in America, but what we learnt was they had dedicated their life to a very, very evil cause. And they impacted the world very deeply. After that, we learnt a little bit about their life and how much they had dedicated to this and how evil they were. We learnt a lot about Islam and Muslims, etc. But they were labelled, interestingly enough, they were labelled extremists. Everybody said they were militant extremists, but that's actually not true. If you read the Quran, they were acting on the Quran. If you were to talk to these men, if you were talk to talk to people who are associated with these evil organisations like Al-Qaeda, they say, we're not the extremists here, we're just acting according to the Quran. My question to the church today is, if nine very evil, wicked, terrorism type kind of dudes, if nine men can impact the globe so dramatically, I wonder what 170 people could do in the name of the God if we were as dedicated as they were. You see, 
the reality is that often when we work our way through scripture, maybe even when we look at the heroes of faith, we look back over the course of church history, we look at guys like you know, even recent guys like Billy Graham and, and other guys like Dwight L. Moody and, and John G. Lake. John G. Lake used to get dressed in the morning and he put a suit on and he would say he would look himself in the mirror and he'd say everywhere this suit goes, a man of God goes. John G. Lake, we know, was the man that uh, ministered to people during the bubonic plague and wasn't affected. And what we think is, well, this is just, uh, you know, this is just a radical element of Christianity that 98% of us, uh, uh, we're just here to do a normal Christianity when in fact the reality is that the biblical response to Jesus Christ is exactly how these men have lived. We, we, we are not the extremists. We should be living according to how Scripture is highlighted. You see, the Bible gives us three responses to the person of Jesus Christ, only three. And somewhere along the line, we have invented a fourth response to Christ. If you read the accounts in the Gospels, you will find there are only three responses to Jesus. And I wonder which one best describes you today. First response to Jesus was people were afraid of him and ran away from him. Second response was they hated him and wanted to kill him. Very interesting fact about Jesus, the Son of God, the Almighty Son of God, the King of Glory, steps down into our world and his enemies are not sinners. Isn't that interesting? Turns out that the only enemies Jesus had here were religious folk. They either were afraid of him and ran away from him, they either hated him and wanted to kill him, or they were absolutely 100% besotted with him and they cast the fullness of their life upon him. There's no other biblical response to the person of Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the line, I believe the church has been in grave danger of inventing a fourth response. You see, the fourth response to Jesus can be best described as a response that seeks the gifts over the giver. Uh, we seek uh, the cross. The cross today, in uh, we are in danger today of the cross being nothing more than something that may redirect our lives or, or maybe elevate our lives. We, we want the cross to take away all of our shame and, and all of our guilt, but then justify all of our sin at the same time. But unless the cross of Jesus Christ slays sin in our hearts and in our lives, we are not responding biblically. Somewhere along the line, we've allowed Christianity to be defined by comfortable, complacent, self-satisfied response to Jesus. A deficient in zeal and fervour. A response to God from a sense of, we have to instead of, I want to. Paul, speaking to the Romans, says, you know what? If you guys are saying, I do what I do for God because I have to, you guys don't understand grace. And if you guys think that grace means you can go out and do whatever you want in the name of grace, you don't understand grace. Paul would say that grace has changed my have to to I want to. When we understand God's grace upon us, it changes our hearts. But somewhere along the line, we've we've changed Christianity to I, I do what I do because I have to. I come to church because I have to. We've invented a response that says, I don't need Jesus. We're going to find today the church at Laodicea will put their hand up and say, no, we're okay, we're all cool, we don't need Jesus. It's all good. We choose what is popular over what is right. 
We don't truly believe that the new life in Christ is far better than our old sinful life of the world. We think and dwell, meditate more on this world than eternity. And while we are content to call that Christianity, Jesus today would call that lukewarm. And to the church at Laodicea, we will see that Jesus will reference them as being lukewarm. Only place in scripture this word is used and it's very, very important to the people of Laodicea. Far too easily today, I believe, Jesus is more of a Facebook friend than our Lord and our Saviour. You know, when, whenever, whenever we get a blessing in our life, whenever we get that promotion, whenever we get that pay rise, you know, whenever we, get, whenever we get a clean bill of health from the doctor, you know, we send out some likes to Jesus. We're liking that Jesus. You know, somebody sends us some mushy quotes about how much God wants to bless us. We like that Jesus. We like that Jesus. But when maybe suffering, affliction and hardship comes in our lives, it's like, no, we're going to unfriend Jesus for a little while. Nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere is it put in the fine print that following Christ is not going to cost you something. The Laodiceans, we will find, are not far removed from the church today. That everything that the Laodiceans were, that would describe their spiritual condition, could describe much of the spiritual condition of the church today, but it does not have to be that way. That's the good news. The good news is that you don't have to live that kind of response. There doesn't have to be a fourth response to the person of Jesus Christ. There only needs to be one, totally and utterly besotted with him and cast the fullness of our life upon him. Today I want to look at, as we work our way through this passage to the church in Laodicea, I'm wondering if we can look at just five words. If you're taking notes today, we will look at five very key important words as we work our way through this passage. Let's begin at verse 14. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The words of the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. What is Jesus saying when he says on the Amen? All the promises of God in Jesus are yes. What does that mean? Uh, Everything that you've been waiting for, everything that the prophets have been speaking about, everything that you've been praying for and expectantly wanting God to deliver, in Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. All of those blessings, all the forgiveness of your sins, all of the relationship you want with God, Jesus is the Amen. Don't have to add anything to Jesus. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus says, I know your works. Full stop. (laughs) I know your works and there's just no commendation after that. He goes on and says, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, please, if you're taking notes today, our first word will be lukewarm. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. And for those that are once saved, always saved, you've got to do something with that verse. Jesus was very deliberate. He, uh, the ESV is very polite and translates that word spit, but it should be translated vomit. You see, Laodicea was known for three very prominent things. The city of Laodicea was located on one of the major trading routes in Asia Minor. Very, very wealthy city. In fact, so wealthy was Laodicea, they suffered a catastrophic earthquake in 61 AD and they were offered imperial help to rebuild and they said, you know what, we've got it. 
you keep your money, Rome. We're, we've got enough money. We'll rebuild. We're good. That's going to flow into their spiritual condition. They were known for their enormous affluence and wealth. It was a banking centre. It was on one of the major trade routes. They're also known for their eye salve. It, it had medical centres in Laodicea, but it was renowned for its eye salve and this ointment they used to put on eyes that would uh, bring healing and allow people to be able to see better. And they were known for their textiles, but in particular their black wool from the local hills, from the black sheep, right? I know, right? They are the three things they were mostly known for, but uh, there was another problem that Laodicea had that they were enormously well known for. The fact is they had no water. Uh, the nearest town is about five or six miles away, and that's Colossae. You will read in the epistle to the Colossians, Paul says, share this letter with those in Laodicea, because they weren't that far away. So they, they know the teachings from the book of Colossians. So about five or six mile, miles away, but Colossae enjoyed beautiful, cool water that ran off the hills uh, from the surrounding mountains. Uh, another 10 miles away is a place called Hierapolis. I know, why couldn't they just say Brisbane, right? I know. But however, uh, uh, there's a place called Hierapolis, and they were known for their very warm water, uh, hot springs that are constantly brought forth, beautiful, fresh, warm water. But the problem that Laodicea had, they had to pipe this water in through aqueducts. Not quite as sophisticated as our water treatment plants today. And so by the time this water would arrive at Laodicea, it would be lukewarm and enormously distasteful. Wouldn't be good for anything. Not good for healing, not good for having a bath, not good for anything. You had to boil the water before you could drink it anyway. It tasted and smelt quite often because the pipes had become calcified, not quite as dignified as our piping systems today. And what Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, you know what? You guys are cold towards me. And... On top of that, you are distasteful to me and you're useless to the people around you. I love the fact that Jesus wrote these words. So if, if you're thinking of sending emails this week, send them to Jesus. Jesus at the rock.com. I wonder who you'd get if you sent that, Liz. It wouldn't be me. <laughs> Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. Why? Because the problem with being lukewarm is you think you're hot. You know, if you're cold and you're distant and you've got sin in your life and you've walked away from Christ, at least God says, you know what, we can address you where you're at. But when you think you've got it all together, when you think you're all spiritual, when you think you're rocking the spiritual tunes and and everything's going sweet and I'm super spiritual and everything's okay and our Facebook profile is displaying the same thing, we're good at that, aren't we? We we? We can make our Facebook profile look like everything's really spiritual. We'll throw out a few quotes a couple of times a week, you know. We'll take a photo of the family saying grace around the table, whoop, whoop, we're all spiritual but Jesus says you're actually cold and the problem with being lukewarm is remedying the situation is a problem unless you can see that you've got a problem that's why sinners didn't have a problem with Jesus, that's why they weren't his enemies because when confronted with the reality and the presence of the almighty God they could see I've got sin and you're here to take it away I would spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17. Let's have a listen to the inner dialogue that Jesus would point to. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. If you live in Brisbane, which most people here I'm assuming do, if you live in Queensland, if you live in Australia, 
you probably say those words. On the global scale, we are enormously blessed and wealthy in this country. We are very affluent. Nothing wrong. The problem with Laodicea isn't the fact that they had wealth. It wasn't the fact that they were affluent. That's not what the problem is. Having possessions and having riches is not what the problem is. It's when our possessions and our riches have us. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I'm not sure that if Jesus was preaching at Laodicea I'm not sure he'd be invited back the next week we, we, we kind of want the pump me up kind of messages but Jesus lays it straight on the line we're going to see why in a moment we're going to see why Jesus just lays it straight down the line but he has described their condition to a T and as Jesus is unrolling these words who would know that almost 2,000 years later he could speak to many, many of us many of us I I know you guys are on fire for God but I've known moments in my life of great distance from God and coldness from God and I I thank God for those moments because it allows us to appreciate more what it is to be close to his presence the next word we come to is in verse 18 Jesus says I counsel you isn't it interesting Uh, often today I have nothing against counsellors I have nothing against life coaches I have nothing against that but isn't it interesting how when we have a problem in our life we run to everything and anybody else except running to Christ first can I encourage you today that wherever you find yourself that you would run to Jesus first. Jesus says, I counsel you, that you would take counsel from Jesus. To seek counsel is to, is to give advice or to take counsel together. Uh, uh, I, um, I can never testify to being in grave need of a lawyer, but if, if you find yourself in a legal predicament, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you've been charged with murder, which I think Mitchell could be soon if we don't kind of do something about Levi Uh, if Levi disappears then um, look for Mitchell but but let's say you're charged with murder but you haven't committed the crime what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to want a lawyer Uh, I can remember uh, back in uh, Launceston, back in the motherland, in the holy country Uh, I I can remember you might even be able to remember this Uh, there was uh, there was a car full of teenagers they had just built a new subdivision up the back of Riverside in Rosethorn Road and there was an enormous piece of straight road and at the top it crested and went down probably one of the steepest hills in Launceston and a car full of teenagers five of them crammed into this car and the driver launched the car off they estimated at conservative estimates 130 k to hit the top of the hill Forgetting that when he went over the top, it went like this, and what was left of that car when it got to the bottom and what was left of the people inside of that car was a tragedy. They hadn't built any houses there yet. They had put speed humps. If you go down Rosewan Road now, there's a series of speed humps to stop people doing that. That kid turned up to court without a lawyer, and the judge said, you better go away and come back with a lawyer. You need counsel. Jesus has got some counsel. You can't remedy the situation. Jesus says, I counsel you. Let's sit down together and talk about this. Interesting, the next word we're going to look at 
Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The next word I want to look at is buy. The interesting thing I found as I worked my way through this is, Jesus, you're counselling us to buy something from you. Has anybody noticed there's an elephant in the room? Jesus, you want us to buy from you, but you've just told us that we're wretched, blind, pitiful, poor and naked. We haven't got any money, any clothes, and you want us to buy from you? The word buy here means to, kind of what we would understand in the sense of trading, but it means to frequent a marketplace. What Jesus is counselling the people at Laodicea, the lukewarm people is, you guys are in the wrong marketplace. You guys are spending all of your efforts, you guys are giving all of your attention, you guys have ramped up all of your priorities in a completely different marketplace. Jesus says, come back to my marketplace. Because we're going to see that in Christ's marketplace, you don't need any currency. Not of the world's anyway. In the book of Jeremiah, for those that, uh, if you ever make it to the motherland and make your way to Lagana, uh, Lagana's famous for one thing. It was about, a, was it a 10 year series? Almost. Uh, uh, the whole time we were at Lagana, we worked through a series on the book of Jeremiah. I, I grew a great appreciation for the book of Jeremiah. But uh, Jeremiah prophesies, begins at the age of 12, by the way. First prophecy to the king was when he was 12 years old. And. Um, Uh, Jeremiah would prophesy to an apostate Israel that could describe much of the condition we see here. We haven't finished with what's the condition of Israel there. We'll kind of come back to it later. But Jeremiah has a lot to say to them. These guys had become comfortable. These guys were sitting inside the walls of Jerusalem. You can hear the lingo going on amongst the people of God. They said, you know what? This is God's city. This is God's temple. This is God's walls. He would never allow anything to come against us. We're all nice and safe and secure. and, And we love God. They were pretending to love God. Everything on the outside looked good. But Jeremiah said, I know that even though you wear the right clothes and all the sacrifices look the goods on the outside. Jeremiah says, I know that when we peel back the curtain God left a long time ago and your idols are stuffed in behind the curtain. And to that people, Jeremiah would say, uh, in chapter 2 verse 13, Jeremiah says that Israel had committed two evils. First evil, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Second evil, they have hoed out for themselves cisterns broken cisterns much the same as the people of Laodicea here we'll find all of our satisfaction we'll expend all of our labour because we want to satisfy ourselves with this world's goods we, 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 want to, we want to fill ourselves up with the pleasures of this world just as the people of Israel in those days I, I want to read to you a passage from Isaiah when we're talking about the marketplace of God you might be sitting here this morning uh, and asking yourself, what does Jesus mean by this? I love these words. How can we possibly buy? Well, well, listen to this. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everybody who thirsts. I've got a question for everybody today. What is it that you really thirst for? When you're alone and nobody else is around and you've put your Facebook account away and nobody can see what your answer is, what is it that you really thirst for? What is it that you really hunger for? Whatever you thirst for, by the way, and whatever you hunger for, is an important question to ask because it will drive the rest of your life. Come, everybody who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, praise God. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The currency of heaven is faith. And the wonderful thing I love about God is uh, God has prepared before each and every one of us a table. God, everything, you can come to God without money and without price. Why? Because you don't come to buy something. You don't have to manufacture anything. You simply have to sit down at the table and receive what God has laid out before each and every one of us. In God's marketplace... You don't need religious service. You don't need... Jesus is... All of these things are good. Giving money, turning up the church, all of those things are good. But you can't buy or trade anything from God by our actions, but coming and receiving what he has. Jesus would say to the church at Laodicea, stop expending all of your efforts. Stop giving all of your attention. Stop giving everything over to your affluence and your wealth and your possessions and expend your efforts for me. Coming back to Revelations. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. What does Jesus mean by that? Gold refined by fire, the reference is always to a character that has been forged through persecution, through suffering, through hardship and through trials. We're going to get to a little bit more of what that looks like in a moment. Jesus goes on and says, To these guys, uh, you're all concerned about your wealth. Why don't you put that aside for a moment? Why don't you buy from me a character? Your wealth will rot. Uh, I haven't been to too many funerals, but the ones I have, there's never a U-Haul truck at at, at any funerals. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care what your possessions are. I don't care how big your house is. I make you one guarantee. You take none of it with you. Naked you came, naked you go. That's the reality. However, when you trade in the marketplace of Christ, you are trading in an eternal marketplace. Jesus says, buy from me a character that will carry you on into eternity so that you may be rich and white garments, the, the, the white garments of the righteousness of Christ so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. <clears throat> we are all naked before the eyes of the Lord, but you must come to church dressed. And to salve to anoint your eyes. Why? Because you guys can't see. You guys can't see the fact. You think everything's okay. You think everything's hunky-dory. But the fact of the matter is you can't see how far away from me you actually are. And you can't see what is waiting for each and every one of you. Jesus says you need salve for your eyes. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Fourth word this morning, those whom I love, I reprove. Some uncomfortable words this morning as we come. Uh, The word reprove means to expose, it means to convict, or it means to reprove. Uh, Throughout the New Testament you'll find many references to reproving. Uh, There are two contexts. First one is that we reprove by words. So uh, what's the best example for that? Uh, Paul writing to Timothy, he would say, Be ready in season and out of season. 
preach the word reprove. That means change the course of one's direction or another's direction by your word. Bring reproof by words. The other meaning and the meaning that is the word is used here in the book of Revelations is that we are reproved by deeds. Those whom I love, says the Lord, I reprove. And it speaks about circumstances and it speaks about situations that God allows us to enter into that reprove us. What's Jesus saying to the church at Laodicea? You think you're all that? You think your wealth has got you covered? You think everything's going all right? What if I take your wealth away? Then what's going to happen? You think, you think everything's all good? What if I take your health away? Uh, you see, coming back to the people of Israel, they always said, you know, we're safe here, nothing's ever going to happen. Here's some really uncomfortable words. Uh, God would call a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king of Babylon. Uh, God said to him, you are my servant. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. And what God was saying is, I'm raising you up and I'm giving you all of this power because you will be an instrument of judgment and reproof against Israel. And for those that know the history of Jeremiah and Israel, in comes Nebuchadnezzar and he tears down the walls, he sacks the temple, he kills most of the people in the city, he takes the then king Jehoiakim out of the city, the last thing he sees is his two sons killed before they burn his eyes out with a hot poker. Welcome to Babylon. And in all of that chaos that God allowed upon his people, you say, how on earth did that reprove them? How on earth did that bring them to a better place? Seventy years later... When the exiles returned, this is what we know about Israel. Israel learned to worship God no matter their surrounding circumstances. They, they learned to stand for God in a foreign country. They had to. They, they would meet by the nearest watercourse. They would meet and they would, they would discuss the law. They would discuss how, how it applied in their life. Have you ever heard the song by Boney M by the rivers of Babylon? That's scripture and it's speaking about exile talk. Isn't it interesting how God knows just the right circumstances to bring into our lives that reprove us, expose us? Attitudes get exposed. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how certain people expose certain attitudes within inside of us? We've, we've invented a kind of Christianity where we think, you know what, God, uh, under this fourth response, it's all right, I'm going to love these people over here, but those over there, I, I don't even like them. And that's okay. I'm just going to pretend that that's okay. That's not what Jesus said. I can remember one church that we were at, uh, I was talking to somebody at that church and they said, you know what, we'll be going ahead in leaps and bounds if just these people would leave the church. I said, listen, I want to give you uh, some really, really godly advice. The minute they walk out the door, another couple's going to walk in exactly like them. Why? Because God is sandpapering you. God knows how to bring just the right circumstances, to bring just the right amount of stress, to expose all of the impurities. Uh, Gold is refined by heating it up. Uh, Our lives are refined through the furnaces of life and all the impurities rise to the surface. Jesus says, those whom I love I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. There's always a remedy with Jesus. He's so wonderfully merciful and kind and forgiving. Verse 20, this is the verse we all wanted to get to. 
Behold, I stand at the door, says Jesus, and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That is one of the most outstanding promises in Scripture. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And the last word I want to look at today is the word open. And I want to ask everybody in this room today a question. And that question is, what is stopping you from letting God in? As we look at this, this is kind of a figure of speech. It's an analogy that Jesus has used. But as we look at this, it pictures Jesus on the outside. Many of us have put Jesus out on the porch. We're kind of, you know, Jesus out on the porch. He's knocking, trying to get in. We kind of open the door a little bit and go, what have you got for me, Jesus? But you can stay out on the porch because we know that the minute we let Jesus in, there's some guests that have got to leave. Jesus is saying, I want to come and sit at your table and I want to have intimate fellowship with you. Now, often we use this verse in an evangelistic context and that's okay, you can do, but we need to remember that Jesus is talking to believers today. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea. He says, you guys are so far away. You guys are sitting at the table tolerating all these other people. Maybe you're tolerating pride at your table today. Maybe you're tolerating bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe you're tolerating worldliness and and those little pet sins. Jesus says I want to come and sit at your table but you can't have me and anybody else at this table Jesus wants full undisclosed access to the table of your life because in the first century to say that you wanted to sit down and eat with somebody was the, was the greatest testament to intimate fellowship what Jesus is saying is I want to come in I want you to know the sweetness of my presence. A.W. Tozer says, God waits to be wanted, and so often he waits far too long. I'm going to ask Sonia if she can come and just play as we bring this to a close this morning, but I want to ask you this morning, what is stopping you from letting Jesus in? Who is it that sits at your table? When I was back in the motherland, I used to, I had my own taxis, drove taxis for night shift for six years, open your eyes to a different world. My greatest customers, uh, I got a lot of work off these guys, was an outlaw motorbike gang. Believe it or not, these guys, well, they knew how to party, right? But there, there were hundreds of them that were associated with this motorcycle gang. I remember one guy I picked up one night, young guy, uh, dressed to the nines, schmick, had the coat in the hand, he folded the coat very nice and neatly, put it on the seat next to him in the taxi. Off to the, he says, I'm off to the club. I said, you're going to have to be more specific, mate. We have three. And he says, the nearest one. I said, okay, we're on our way. Drop this man off and, and I get about five kilometres down the road and I get a call from the base in Hobart. Did you just drop a guy off at this bikers club? I said, yeah. I said, what's the problem? He said, can you look in your back seat? Is there a coat or something on your back seat? This guy's hysterical. I went, yeah, all right, hang on. So I have a look in the back seat, and sure enough, there's a coat on the back seat. He says, he'll pay you whatever you want. Can you please just take the coat back? I said, yeah, okay, I'm only a few k's down the road. I, I get back to the club. This guy's pacing up and down outside the club. And, and I get out, and I said, mate, you're after your coat. And he goes, that's not a coat, mate. He says, that's a patch. I said, same to me, makes a difference to me. <laughs> He says, 
I've only just got that patch. He says, if I'd have walked into this club tonight without that patch, he said, that would have meant big trouble for me. I went, okay. And on the back of the patch was a term called 1%. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that. But it intrigued me. And I had a couple of guys I used to pick up regularly, and I said, look, what's the go with this 1% of rubbish? What is, you know, what is it with you guys and this 1% of stuff? And he said, you know what? He said, this club here, and literally, there could be four or 500 guys there at a party, all, all, all riding motorbikes, you know, all wearing leathers and jeans and got chains dangling, and they never shower, and they've got tattoos that their mum would be disgraced to see, all those sorts of things, I get that. But there's four or 500 guys, he says, but there's probably a handful of us that are 1%ers. He says, these guys here, he says, this is just a casual agreement for these guys they're just here for the parties on Fridays and Saturday nights but the one percenters he says we live and breathe this stuff he says this is not just this is not just a hobby for us on the weekends he says this is our life to be termed as a one percenter you've got to earn that and so often in Christianity we think there's these one percenters you know it's just this these handful of Christians that are that are called to be the super anointed people But there is nothing less in Scripture. There's nothing less than a one percenter commitment. We're following Christ. The word follow here means to cleave to. It doesn't mean to walk behind. It means to cleave with all of your strength. As we close this today, I'm going to ask Sonia if she can just tinkle for a few minutes as we sit in the presence of God, but Are you a one percenter? You see the other guys, they wore the clothes. The, the other guys, they talked the talk. They could drink the drink. They loved the parties. But when it came to commitment, these guys were off in another place. Jesus is calling all of us in this room to be one percenters and anything less he calls Lukewarm. That's the challenge before all of us. If nine evil, wicked men in the name of a God that doesn't even exist, they invented. If they can impact the globe in such a dramatic way, surely 160, 170 people in this room could turn this community upside down for the name of Jesus. D.L. Moody could be recorded as saying we are yet to see what God will do with a man that will be 100% sold out, no questions asked to God, he says, and I desire to be that man. Father, as we sit in your presence this morning, I pray for every one of us. We need eyes to see. Jesus, I thank you that you're always knocking at our door. You're always wanting to come in. Lord, we can be hard of hearing. We tolerate too many guests at the table, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to hear you. Help us, Lord, to see you. 
I pray that every one of us would let you in this morning. We wouldn't go another day or another week. You don't have to leave here today. You might be sitting here this this morning. You might be saying, I've never opened the door to Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like. Well, don't leave here today without opening the door. He wants to come and for to share the most intimate relationship in the universe with you. And you might be sitting here today going, you know what? I've been lukewarm for far too long. You don't have to be lukewarm another moment. Draw us back to the fountain of living waters, Father, I pray. Every single one of us. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.